Yeet, skirt, yeet, skirt. You never loved me, Lady Jessica. And I was thinking at some point somebody needs to go, We are a family of four who reviews book-to-film adaptations. This is a clean podcast, but we talk about some complex topics. Um, Spoiler alert for this episode, we are going to be discussing the book Dune. We are also going to be discussing the 1984 film based on the book, as well as the 2021 film Dune Part 1. There is a chance that we will also spoil uh, the rest of the Dune series at different points. So depending on what we're talking about, if you want to go back and read first or um, just kind of get to know the movie, make sure that you do that before diving right in. Um, To get started, we like to share a little fun fact about ourselves as we introduce who we are. So I'll go first. I am Rebecca. I am the daughter slash sister of the pod. And the fun fact for today is, what is your favorite climate to visit? I am a boring white girl. I like the beach. I know that's probably silly or too basic, but as much as I enjoy going into the mountains or would like to try going on a skiing vacation, for instance, I default to being on the beach when it's hot and I can get a tan. So uh, my name is Donna and I'm the wife and mom in our pod. I like that we're in a pod. We're peas in a pod. It's really clever. Oh, I have thought about this one. Mountains. I think mountains are beautiful. Um, the mountains in the fall before the mm. weather starts to get weird. I'd say I love that. I, I like driving through through mountains where we live and see the changing leaves. So I'm going to pick fall climate up in the mountains, a little cooler. Nice. I'm Josiah. I am the brother son of this podcast group. I think I don't like to visit many places, but I'm imagining Caladan as a great place to go, kind of a wet grassland Ooh. type area. Anywhere that's anywhere that's around 60 degrees and not dry. I and I don't like the beach because you get sand everywhere. I don't know that I have a, a favorite favorite place or climate to to visit particularly. I like the beach. I like I like to go to the beach when it's warm enough, but I don't like it when it's hot. Um I like to visit the mountains when it's cool enough, but not when it's cold. Um, and I have been... You want to live in San Francisco is what you're telling I me. I want to live in the place where the mean temperature is 70 degrees all the year. <laughs> and there's a beach, so San Francisco. That I can see, and there are mountains that I can see, and I can visit either one of them when I want to. So San Francisco. Yeah, I guess. I kind of am the same way. I... I like the beach when it's hot because I know that I can sit out and get a tan. But like even this summer, we went on a trip to Florida and it was when it was like in the hundreds, it was three digit temperatures and I was miserable the whole time. I was like, can I have just air conditioning? Just please give me air conditioning. Yes. Well, before we get into our changes, Josiah, would you like to walk us through a summary of the plot? Actually, can you describe what we're going to be covering in today's episode? We are covering the first half of the first Dune book and about the first half of the 1984 
David Lynch Dune movie and the mm-hmm. complete first Dune movie by Denny Villeneuve with Timothy Chalamet in the starring role. So Officially, because, Dune Part 1 is the name of that movie. Yes, so because that is the newest version and we're about to get Dune Part 2 coming out. Here's the plot summary for Denny Villeneuve's Dune Part 1. Dune is set in a distant future where the young Paul Atreides, heir to House Atreides, moves with his family to the desert planet Arrakis, the only source of the invaluable spice, also called melange. This relocation comes under the Emperor's orders, but is a trap set by their enemies, the House Harkonnen, or Harkonnen. Shortly after their arrival, House Atreides is betrayed and attacked by the Harkonnens with the help of the Emperor's elite troops, the Sardaukar. Paul and his mother Jessica escape into the desert after his father, Duke Leto, is killed. In the desert, they encounter the Fremen, the native inhabitants of Arrakis. Paul and Jessica join the Fremen, adapting to their desert life. Paul's unique abilities and visions earn him a revered status among the Fremen. Paul's integration into Fremen society is solidified when he defeats a Fremen warrior, Jameis, in ritual combat, proving himself to the tribe. The film ends with Paul and Jessica fully accepted into the Fremen community, preparing for the larger conflict that lies ahead. Nice. And I will say, before we even talk about like how things were different, um, I did not finish the 1984 film, but I did watch quite a bit of it. Um, I've seen the 2021 film twice. And I would say I was actually pretty impressed with how much the plot was pretty consistent. There were a few things maybe left out or shifted around, but I would say it was a relatively uh, close plot. The way that it was portrayed in the film to the book, which I like. I prefer that. If I like a book, I don't want them to completely try and rewrite it in the in the movie. Ready Player One was kind of an exception for me where I still liked the movie when they did that. But um, we break these down into three types of changes. Typically, we do uh, our characterization changes first, but I think I'd like to start with a few things about the setting and then just talk about the plot and timeline. And I'd actually like to end with some characterizations just because there's a second movie coming and there's a lot of things that are changed on purpose for that that I thought would be interesting. So uh, let's talk setting, and we'll kind of try to divide these into things that we noticed in the 1984 film and then things that we noticed in the 2021 Dune Part 1. The 1984 film depicts the Emperor's planet and throne room where he is confronted by the Spacing Guild. Is it in the book? Is it in the book? I don't think it was in the book. I don't think it's in the book. I think that was added I think it was added for the movie. So that that was an addition, and the Emperor is not even in the 2021 film. He Mm -hmm. will be in the 2024 sequel, played by Christopher Walken, which I'm very interested in what that'll be like. The 1984 film also takes more time to introduce the audience, the Spacing Guild, and the method they use to fold space for space travel. Um, Mm -hmm. Although uh, Herbert didn't want to spend a lot of time on the sci-fi tech, um, Mm -hmm. the 84 film did attempt to show you at least some of that stuff, production and setting. I 
I really liked, I, I think David Lynch had a lot of problems with his film, but I liked when he portrayed the folding of space when the Atreides went from Caladan to Arrakis. I thought that was a really cool visual effect. Okay. Was that the weird, squishy alien thing? What was yes, that? Yes, he looked like a drug tree. Right? What was that? Like, what was that the thing, is, the person? Those are the that? beings. They are people. They were originally human beings who over the centuries of their use of spice have been so altered that he looks like that flying squid kind of thing. Yeah. It's so weird. Okay. I was like, I saw that and I thought, okay, I get the space folding thing, but what is this? But he has a whole entourage that has to bring him in. And it's kind of, it's a little weird in, in the 84 film when, when he goes out in his large tank, the group that they clean up behind him, like Ugh. he's wet the whole floor and all that. I, I don't, it's just kind of weird. It's a strange visual. The, that depiction where you they zoom in on that little mouth looking hole and it looks like it's talking. And I was like, okay, he's communicating through some, I don't know, telepathic, whatever. And then you yeah. see a similar looking hole, which I thought was that the same one, and it shoots fire out of it. And I thought, that looks like he's pooping. It was like he's pooping fire. It's so I weird. I did not. I that was I was very lost on that. It was yeah. wait, wait. Pooping started the fire. <laughs> yes. It was always burning since the world's returned. Okay. Hilarious. The interior set pieces for the 1984 film seemed very limited and awkward. There's a narrow hallway in the Arrakis castle with a control center crammed into it. And that's like a a prominent place for people to go by. So people have to like squeeze Mm -hmm. their way through the corridor. In in several scenes, you see it. Um, The Emperor's Palace is very steampunk. Uh, The Harkonnen's home planet, uh, Getty or Guidi Prime, it's industrial, it's more industrial, and it's it's dirty, it's dank. But all of the interiors seemed small and cramped, where I noticed the in the 21 film, a lot mm-hmm. of the rooms that a lot of people are in are massive, where the private right. rooms, like Paul's, Paul's main, his bedroom, his living quarters, those are more small and intimate as a, in a family but setting. they're still like fairly, they're still decently sized. But they're, but things are, are larger and expanded. Um, and the, and that but, matches with the book. But when you're reading the book, that's right, Rebecca, it, it's, it's very grand and regal and it, and it should be. In, in the book and the 1984 film, it's made clear that spice allows space vessels to travel anywhere in space without moving which is the primary reason that it's so valuable and central to the society. The 2021 film just says that it's what allows interstellar travel and there's no additional explanation. It's just kind of, it is. It's a little bit like Star Trek and the warp engine. How do you get there? Yeah, We have a warp warp engine. engine. (laughs) Yeah. I was watching this with a couple of our boys and they said something about like the spice is what allows for interstellar travel. And both of them looked at me and they were like, so what does the spice do? And so I had oh to explain like what the book explained. So I did think that was a very odd thing to leave out 
of the newer film. Like I kind of understand not wanting to explain the mechanics in detail, but we'll get later on to a place that they could have explained it, which would have been in the films that Paul was watching to learn about Arrakis before they left. But anyway, I digress. Um, I would, I wanted to say this is not a change from book to movie. I just kind of noticed it between the two films. When I was watching this the second time, like the new movie, I noticed how extensively water was used on mm-hmm. Caladan. Like in every interior scene, not just, oh, we see the ocean and oh, we see the rain and oh, we this. Like there was so much water and dampness like just shown in every single scene on Caladan. And then as soon as they get to the planet Dune, they use like dust. It wasn't just heat. In the mm-hmm. in the 1984 film, it looked like it was just, they used it as like heat and it was just really hot. But I loved that in the newer movie, it really captured the differentiation that I felt in the book reading it when it was like going from, you know, the the wet planet to the dusty hot planet. I felt like I like was super into it. Like I, I believed it mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that because in the older... <laughs> Yeah, in the twenty or in the nineteen eighty four film, it just felt like I don't know. It it came off weird to me when they actually went to Arrakis. The twenty one film uses tones, colors, and and sweeping visuals to make that distinction as well. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I felt like Villeneuve felt his choices were very wise. There's a way to tell things without telling everything. And and give the audience yeah. opportunity to draw some conclusions. You don't have to spell out every little word, yeah. every thought, well, every every piece of every conversation or whatever. You mentioned color and like the Caladan scenes were all very blue tinted. The Arrakis scenes were all very mm. orange tinted. And then the little bit that we got of like the Baron and House Harkonnen Didi Prime felt probably. like it was gray. It was like desaturated. Gaty Prime, yeah. It felt kind of desaturated, very like grayish. And so I really did like that use of color and all of that. There is a more polished look to the sets in the 2021 film. It is definitely a different feel to that of the 1984 film. There seems to be a strong emphasis on the overall somber feel of the story. I think that, I mean, my general opinion about the 2021 movie, especially after reading the book, is that Denny Villeneuve Dune does not deserve this director. Mm. This 2021 <laughs> film is so much cooler than the book is. I'm not saying it's wow. better necessarily, but the book is is very much like this is a nerd writing down yes, a bunch of things. Yes, definitely a good description. And the yeah. the movie for better or worse really pulls it into the mainstream, makes it look cool, makes it look sleek. I say every episode I'm not going to say something about casting. You can't overlook that. And I think the casting of the 21 film versus the 84, I mean, each director was doing, they had a different vision. As we move into plot and timeline changes, I just wanted to kind of clarify that especially the 1984 film, honestly, but also the 2021, I would say made a very minor number of changes to the major plot uh, points, which I really appreciate I could follow what was going on. Like I kind of, I caught some things, but I felt like I could follow what was going on and it felt similar to the movie. Now, dad, can you give us a rundown of like what parts each book and film and other stuff covered before we get into the changes? The 1984 film covers the entire book, uh, the first Dune book. It is 
two hours and 17 minutes long. And like the last 37 to 40 minutes is the second half. Oh gosh. Be, the one that's about to be right, a second the movie. one that's going to be a second movie. And it speeds wow. through a lot of things. So uh, even some of the previews of the 21 uh, film, you notice they're going to expand on some of the things that the previous film zoomed through pretty quickly. The miniseries that covers the first book is four and a half hours long, if that gives you a clue why they probably decided for the Mm -hmm. 2021 film. There's enough there for two movies, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say that feels like it's about, it's going to be the length of Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2 together. Yeah, pretty much. The 21 film ends after after the the fight with Jameis, Paul and Jessica are brought into the into the fold with the Fremen. In the 84 film, they don't show Paul fighting Jameis. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the one of oh. the consequences of the fight in the book is that when he kills him, he has to take responsibility for his family and he has two sons, one from his union with with his wife and one from her previous husband that he had killed in a duel that Jameis had mm-hmm. killed. Um, and those two boys show prominently in the book. They're a, a big part. They don't have, they're always there, but, but they're fairly prominent. In the 84 film, there is no duel between them. So you don't see that. You do see these two young boys, preteens is what they look like, that are always close to Paul for the rest of the movie. Mm. It's as if they filmed the scene with the duel and decided to cut it out. And it's just kind of strange in the 84 film. I thought it was very interesting that the book Dune is broken into three, they call them books yeah. within the single Which novel. is incredibly confusing to, for it us to discuss. First movie ends like halfway through book two of the novel. And so then book two and a half and three of the novel, I guess, is going to be Dune part two. I understand why they broke it up this way, like in the films. I think that it worked. Although I will say when I was watching... Uh, part one the first time it did feel a little weird I almost thought like you could have ended the movie like when Paul and Jessica had escaped and like uh, you see when Liet Kynes dies Mm -hmm. like after helping them escape I was like you could have made that like the final scene but I know Villeneuve wanted to focus mostly on Paul so that was my first statement just if you never read the book it was an odd choice now here's my question I know that there's been speculation about a Dune Part 3. I think, based on everything I've read, that that would be based on the second book, which is Dune Messiah. Second novel. Second novel. Yes. Yes, Sorry, just not to confuse anything. (laughs) Now, has there ever been another... My question was, has there ever been another film based on Dune Messiah? Or would that be, like, essentially the first one? Because I know Dune Messiah is, like, a weird... It goes some weird places. The second... um miniseries that the sci-fi channel did uh they called it children of dune and it actually um it actually covers dune messiah and i think oh my goodness there's one called children of dune Uh, they take the title from the third book from the third novel but um the second miniseries covers covers that and actually uh james mcavoy plays plays paul atreides son well, enough of that fun stuff. <laughs> what about something that's horrific? Uh, the 1984 yeah. film, 
portrays the incredibly predatory sexual behavior of Baron Vladimir Harkonnen for a PG-13 audience. This mm-hmm. is uh, very much from the book. The, the novel is clear regarding Baron's behavior, his licentiousness, his pederasty. The 2021 film downplays the Baron's aberrant behavior. Mm-hmm. I think so creepy as crap, though. Yes, they in the 2021 film, they took out some of the things that modern audiences might not have totally gone along with. But Mm -hmm. they emphasized how incredibly dark and creepy and physically corrupted he is. Yeah. So there's still a lot of the darkness there. It's just uh, takes a slightly different form than in the book and the 1984 film. Yeah. I don't think that this is technically off plot. Uh, I just thought it was really weird. I remember the first time and again, when I watched it again, the scene where the Baron is in the black liquid to heal. Uh, Oh, and then he, or the oil. And then he like comes out of it. I was like, gross. Like I, when he comes out of that, I thought he would have to take off a breather or something, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't. Mm He comes up out of that <laughs> as if he's been breathing it. He's been, you know, it, yeah. it, it was, it's nasty. Denis Villeneuve did add the oil bath into the 2021 movie, which was not in the book. He added that because he had a dream where the Baron emerged mm. like a hippopotamus from the mud. I have a dream that one day he will emerge like a hippopotamus from the mud. Yes, much less sorry. inspiring than oh, MLK Jr. Continuing on in plot and timeline, if we move to the 21 film, it omits the book's epigraphs from Princess Irulan, mm-hmm. which foreshadow yeah. events, provide context. Um, which I like, by the way, in the book. Yes. I, I liked those in the book. Via News Film instead delivers like a more direct narrative experience. So you're seeing this more than more from Paul's perspective, very, very much more from Paul's perspective. And they cut the exposition by Princess Irulan as the opening scene, which appear in the book and in the 1984 film, replacing it with Chani in uh, the 2021 film. I thought. Do I like this? I mean, it, I don't even know her. Yeah. We have no context for who she is. And, and the yeah, farther exactly. along it got, it was like, I looked forward to it. Like, I wanted to hear what she said. Some other authors do the same kinds of things, though, in their in their yeah, novels. Yeah, you're telling me another what author does that. What kinds of authors, Dad? <laughs> like T. Josiah Haynes and his kind uh, of thing. The award-winning author of the Heirs of History yes. series. Yes. I believe yes. the third book in this five-book series was recently released. <laughs> and I believe that you can get signed copies from the author. If yes. You can get signed copies. Reach out to us because we have an inside connection. <laughs> At the beginning of every part thought, of my, of oh, my yeah, book ahead, that then. I wrote... There are diary entries from the future, so oh, I cool. did. So I did get thing. the uh, the similar thing. I think one of the first places I saw that was in Isaac Asimov's books, Foundation books, and uh, so I, I think it was a pretty common sort of thing, especially in the early 1900s sci-fi fantasy. But I liked them in the book. I just want to say I think it's better in the in the Denis Villeneuve movie. That Chani has a little exposition in the beginning of the movie. They wanted to give Zendaya a bigger mm-hmm. part. I think it makes sense to give Chani a little bit of a bigger part. And I think that it was a conscious, sensical decision to 
essentially cut the Emperor and Princess Irulan from the 2021 film, awaiting their arrival in the story. Yes, they're only mentioned uh, in the, the 2024 Emperor sequel. And, you know, yeah. And and again, this is a change that works in a book, but yeah. as we saw in the 84 when they tried to do it didn't work as well on film. Every time they were thinking in the in the 1984 film, it felt uncomfortable. I was watching with subtitles on HBO Max and they called it the inner voice. I know what it is. It's narration. Yeah, it was off put. I mean, it was just because they're sitting still and words are re- being read and it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's not translating. Because it's in the book. Oh, yeah. We can hear everyone's thoughts. But honestly, that being in the 1984 film, in my opinion, completely ruins any chance of that film being a good movie. I did understand why they did the whole, like, exposition from Chani and they cut Princess Irulan's things, though, from the beginning. I will say it helps me a lot in the book to have Princess Irulan kind of establish a lot about the culture and the society. I felt like there was some stuff missing in the new movie that I did not understand. You know, I had to look up, what does this mean? Why is this this way? There's like so much more that I looked up or had to reread in the book. When we were watching the movie, I felt like they kept, the boys I was watching with kept asking me questions because it was clear that there was like some stuff that just wasn't, obvious or explained i think that it's a lot better for them to ask questions of how things work than for david lynch to waste your time having someone jump out of their character and And explain explain things that honestly aren't important to the plot in the 84 film i'm listening to max van seedal a a very Mm -hmm. famous actor sitting in the ornithopter with Paul and his dad (laughs) and says, he knows our ways and things like that. And it's like, they're carrying on a conversation and then this strange little (laughs) voice thing. And, and I'm thinking this just seems awkward. So getting into a couple of specific plot points that changed, uh, I noticed that Paul's first encounter with a worm was very different in terms of, he was like safe in the ornithopter in the book when all of that happened, when they were rescuing the spice miners. And in the film, he like gets out of the ornithopter. He's in the sand. He almost dies to the worm. Like he almost gets captured in the desert. Um, and like after he leaves the the spacecraft. And so it's basically just showing how he was affected by the spice, which is same, obviously book to film. Like, well, I don't know if it's obvious or not. It was the same from the book to film, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen the 2021 film in the past couple months. And so I forgot that they do give Timothy Chalamet a little more agency in the ornithopter scene, whereas I think in book and the 1984 film, it is a scene designed to make Duke Leto likable. Yes. <laughs> it's the scene right before he... He cares for the people <laughs> more than he does the spies, yeah, exactly. which is one of those so, inner voice things. Yeah, but... You know, that's what the scene is designed for by Frank Herbert and David Lynch. But I think in the 2021 film, he makes it to be also Paul is likable, too. And it makes the stakes higher. And it gives you a natural, efficient way to show, oh, this is how spice affects him as a as a foreshadowing for important future events. Yeah. Oh, like a 
dramatically appropriate way to show that. It felt reasonable that he would then start having his visions come up all of a sudden. And it was just very, you know, it felt really intense. And I don't know if it would have felt as intense if he was just sitting in the back of the ornithopter when you see it in the film. Another thing that I had noticed that I thought was interesting, and I think this was omitted from both the movies in 1984 and 21, the dinner scene in the book was taken out entirely. So there's this dinner scene, there's a bunch of political, like, figures from Arrakis and, um, so it shows a lot of political and social dynamics throughout. And it, it gives you this like sense of the massive societal impact of a lot of what's going on. And there's some stuff going on with Lady Jessica and the other, you know, Duke Leto's picking up on some stuff. I thought it was a really interesting scene in the book. And I thought, oh, I don't remember this. And then I looked, you know, I watched the movie again and I was like, oh, it literally wasn't there. Um, I think it was to focus more on Paul still, but it was interesting that that was completely taken out. That's one of the things that I think I wish they would have included in the 2021 film. Who's at the dinner scene in the book? Are the Count and Countess in they the are. scene? They are. Okay. Well, there. I I assume that their characters, Denny Villeneuve, wanted to save for the next, for the sequel. Who else is at the dinner scene? Uh, Liet Kynes uh, is there. Oh, okay. Or the Fremen they diplomat. They keep saying, are you Fremen? Paul keeps asking that and said, well, I am the emperor's planetologist. Uh, so technically, mm-hmm. Liet Kynes is, works for the emperor on Arrakis. But we find okay. out that they're actually Fremen. Mm-hmm. You've got Lady Fenring... And Count Hasimir Fenring, so the Emperor's associate and his Benny Gesserit wife. Mm-hmm. You have a guild bank rep from the, the Spacing Guild. Right. Um, and then several people that have like various functions on Arrakis that work there. Yeah, one of them being the, the person who's in charge of smuggling, which I find very interesting. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm in charge of all the smuggling, you know, the illegal stuff. And that's my <laughs> look out me. in the open title. <laughs> A line that jumped out to me in the 1984 film is when Thufir Hawat, I, I think Thufir Hawat calls himself Master of Assassins. Yes, he does, which is strange. I forget why. <laughs> Potential spoiler for the 2024 sequel, because we, we're not sure if it'll be brought up then, but within the plot mm-hmm. that is covered by the 2021 film, in the book in 1984 film, it is brought up that Lady Jessica, Paul's mom, is actually an illegitimate child of the Baron Harkonnen. And so Paul is his grandson. Whether or not that is widely known is up for debate. It doesn't really seem like that's widely known. But in the film, there is a brief mention where the Baron refers to Duke Leto as cousin, which I assume is a a Mm. different reference, but it does connect the family lines. Yep. I think that this is a, a huge change. I, I It has to be in the, yeah. in the sequel movie, because in my head, and I don't want to put words into Frank Herbert's mouth, because he literally explains everything. If he doesn't say it outright on the page, maybe he, he probably wasn't thinking about it. But I, I like to think that, because the, the, the Bene Gesserit bloodline conspiracy is Duke Leto will have a daughter, that marries Baron Harkonnen's son or heir. Maybe he doesn't Ralph, have a son. honestly. He doesn't have a son. <laughs> yeah. And the Bene Gesserit are mad at Lady Jessica for having a son mm-hmm. so that this messes up the whole plan mm-hmm. of everything. 
But then Lady Jessica was a Harkonnen. And so, so Baron Harkonnen with Lady Jessica's mom created the mother of the Kwisatz Haderach ends up being like mm-hmm. the answer to the conspiracy, the prophecy sort of stuff. I think that's kind of a satisfying twist and it's important for yeah. it, bloodlines matter, yeah. which, you know, I maybe have philosophical problems with that being such a vital part of sci-fi fantasy is bloodline purity. But that is a part that is a huge part of the novel. So I'm surprised that it wasn't in the 2021 film, but I haven't counted it out that it might be in the 2024 film. Do you think it might be because that whole part of the book is complicated and may not be for the wider audience that the 2021 film and Mm. its sequel are probably looking toward? People love dumb prophecies that are fulfilled in a slightly surprising way. I don't like prophecies. That's a wide audience Mm -hmm. thing is that they love for a character to tell them what's about to happen. And then it happens in a slightly surprising way. It's Paul who pulls from visions of the future, who suggests that he and Jessica should walk unrhythmically through the desert in the book. So he, he brings that up. The 21 film reveals the sand walk through these educational films that you see him reviewing at the beginning of the movie. There's several things that you see him studying or thinking on or considering for his, for his training. I found this to be so bizarre after seeing this, the 21 movie after listening to the book, then I watched the 84 movie. So whether that was a good idea or not stands to be stands to be debated. Ah, remains to be. But seen. after seeing the twenty one movie, where they do this very, it is very random walk. But the two of them, both of them, are trained and can dance. So they do this very random walk that was well choreographed to come off that way. In the eighty four movie, they're just. They make a big deal about it that they can't run in a rhythm, but they're both just clumsily running through sand. And you you have this buildup like you're going to see them do something, which was the whole reason you have them mention it. And then they just go plodding through sand in their horrible outfits and hair. And oh my gosh, we're not there yet. I'm sorry. You just go on because I'll get off on a tangent. I also hated this change. It was stupid and unnecessary. It's one of the few things I don't like about the 2021 film. But I thought in the book it was so interesting that Paul knows innately because of his prescience, which is what they call like his premonitions and ability to connect with the future and connect the future and past and whatever. I thought it was such an interesting development of his character. It made it feel so like Oh, it was like important. It was vital. And in the movie, it's like, also, this is how you walk across the sand. Like it was nothing. But this was like a Fremen secret. It wasn't something right. that all of the people in House of Trades learned and had done. Or off worlders. I mean? like, it, it wasn't an off worlder thing. That it, right. And I think that it was one of the things that you could have absolutely used that period of time in the earlier part of the film where he's watching these little educational things to explain, I don't know, how spice makes like the, a sentence about spice and space travel that actually explains it. There were other things you could have done with it, but I think it kind of speaks in my opinion to the fact that the newer movie 
the, one of the failures I think of it, which there weren't a lot. And I, again, I love this movie, so I'm, I'm not complaining a lot, but I did not like that Paul's visions felt like 85 or 90%. Oh, there's this girl I like. Like it felt cheap. I I thought that in the book, it was so much more interesting that he like had this broad vision of the future and he was going to be a leader. And he like saw all of these different people and he knew things innately and he, he was able to do things that no one should have been able to do. But in the movie, it was like, look, Zendaya is going to be in this movie. Look guys, Zendaya, he's going to like Zendaya. And it's like, okay, I love her. And I love like her portrayal of Chani, but like, it just felt cheap to me. So that's interesting. That's interesting because I think that speaks to a broader point of whether it was to emphasize Zendaya or because Denis Villeneuve did really want to emphasize the relationship between Paul and Chani. If it's the second one, I'm I'm interested in if if Denis Villeneuve is going to emphasize Paul and Chani in a way that maybe distracts from Paul eventually becoming a bad leader mm-hmm. like is, mm-hmm. is it uh is it a distraction for him but and i also think that you dumb things down for audiences from a complex book to film the reality is me and everybody else that's like you know basic folk over here we like love like love stories work on camera there's a reason that like there's such a big part of most I would say I would say a majority of films either center around or have a primary love story as part of it. So I get it, but anyway, we'll see. Um, another thing I had noticed that I thought was interesting that I didn't catch at first because I was like, "This is this in the book?" Like I had to look it up. Uh, so Liette Kynes, who's the planetologist in the book, uh, Liette Kynes is left to die in the desert by the Harkonnen and Sardaukar soldiers, and kind of has this self reflection of his the effects of his planetology and his father's impact on Arrakis. He hears his father speaking to him in his mind. He's basically left out there, you know, to starve or to you know not starve to death, but be dehydrated to death. Uh, in the 2021 film, the character Liette Kynes is like the direct helper of Paul and Jessica getting away from the soldiers. She splits off, she's captured. Then the soldiers uh, stab her. And then as she's lying on the ground, she starts rhythmically beating on the ground and ends up sacrificing her own life for those soldiers to die for the sake of who she calls her people, who are the friends. Mm-hmm. So, the whole book, Liette Kynes is kind of book and movie kind of debating like, am I Fremen? Like I am Fremen. I'm accepted both places though. Like I'm also, I report to the emperor, etc. And it kind of feels like her loyalties move back towards the Fremen in the movie. Um, change wise, I liked the change. I, uh, I felt like it made me care more about that character. Whereas in the book, I remember when he got to the point of like this self-reflection, I kind of was like, okay, when is this part over? Like it, I actually did not find it all that interesting. So I really liked this. Yeah. I thought, I thought the change in character, both from a a male to a female and the way they handled her. I I agree. I thought it was okay. So a lot of those, I want to, I prefer in most cases, you stay true to the book in in decisions like that, but I thought this was a great win, great change. Just mention since you mentioned the gender swap, like mm-hmm. I do think Sharon Duncan Brewster did a great job of that, mm-hmm, yeah. and I 
I actually found Liet Kynes in the book to be a little bit obnoxious. It felt kind of like a sword fight every time he was talking to like Duke Leto and even to Paul. It felt like weird, like posturing. Yeah. But I think transitioning it to be a female character, like she just seemed like a strong female character versus someone who was trying to like posture against the leaders, if that makes sense. So another little change. Paul's fight with Jameis plays out differently in the 21 film than it does in the book. Uh, the challenge comes almost immediately after they meet. Uh, Paul's had visions of Jameis as a teacher and friend, uh, which is a reminder that a lot of Paul's visions are both sides, two different directions mm-hmm. of this of a decision, uh, which he's constantly right. faced with. You know, is it you know, galaxy-wide jihad, or is it peace? Um, is this person my friend, or is this person that I kill? Yeah. Is this a person I trust, or is this a person I distrust? And his visions are kind of like that. But um, he bests a Fremen, uh, and in a way, he kills he kills himself. He kills the Paul Atreides, uh, mm. and he's making the way for the Kwisatz Haderach. In the book, the challenge uh, isn't until a little, little bit later uh, when Jessica and Paul are a little more familiar with the group, though um, it is, it's still pretty soon after they meet them. Uh, Chani and Paul's relationship uh, at least has begun to form a little bit because she tells him some things about Jameis and how he fights, giving him an edge to maybe be able to beat him. No, I will say, um, as the Kwisatz Haderach of, of this podcast, Josiah, since you have labeled yourself that way, who did you kill <laughs> to kill the T. Josiah? What did, what was that like for you? Yes, uh, well, um, he was a very, very nice man, father of five, tax-paying, <laughs> charitable, uh, you know, stand-up How guy. Dare you? <laughs> Well, now I'm taking care of his five kids, so joke's on me. <laughs> well, why don't you continue in our discussion then, uh, Quizart? No, Quizots. Quizart. Well, I'm glad that we're talking so much about Paul and Chani, because the book... Ha- the book is a little weird with Paul and Chani, and the 1984 film really waters them down. And I, I mean, I think the 2021 film is my favorite portrayal of Paul and Chani, but I, I'm interested in the conclusion of their story to see if they really stick the landing. I don't think that I don't think the 84 version waters them down. They do everything but just go completely naked and run across the sand. Like it's very, it's the 84 builds a, a strong, like a, a a strong bond that's beyond. Oh, please, Paul, let me grab and kiss you. I mean, Mm. you might be saying that. I guess what I meant, I guess what I meant by Waters Down is Chani is only an object of romance for Paul. Whereas in the book, she's barely an object of romance. She's, she's a baby factory, but also she has some warrior aspects. She has some wisdom and knowledge I mean, the last words in the novel are Lady Jessica talking to Chani about mm-hmm. concubines' importance and how right. concubines <laughs> in this world, in this universe, are often more important than the wives. But I think in the 2021 film, she is a warrior. Uh, there are right. two aspects that she is a warrior and she is his love interest are, are more heavily emphasized than they are in the book. 
Um, and you know, the warrior part is a little less, less of a part of the 84 film. So it is a little different. So I'm just interested in how they pay it off yeah. in the sequel, but the, the 2021 film alters the circumstances of when Paul and Shawnee meet for the first time and yeah. the uh, subsequent journey to Siege Tabor. The more we go through our episodes and the more I'm learning about book to film, because I've said before, I wasn't a massive reader before. Um, but one thing I'm seeing that is a consistent, pretty consistent trope. When you move from book to film, ramping up a romantic relationship it, it seems to be a thing. For just the once a month or so I might go and see a movie person, it draws them. It gives them more to look to to look on or, or to consider. It's that warm and fuzzy thing. The the 2021 film stops as Paul and Jessica um following Paul's duel to the death with Jameis as they're accepted into the Fremen and Paul determines to bring peace to Arrakis. Um, one of the things that's that's part of the movie, but it's it's less a part of the movie because we're not hearing the inner voice. Um, Paul is continually wondering, am I this Kwisatz Haderach? Am I this person? Uh, am I supposed to be this prophesied leader? And if so, one of the visions he sees is that he brings war and death to the whole galaxy as jihad just burns through the galaxy. Because we don't have the inner voice, we don't hear that constant struggle. So somehow they have to have that in dialogue. And I haven't heard a lot of it yet, but in the previews for the next film, I think we do get more of that. Isn't there a spot in the beginning when they're with the Reverend Mother where, like, she says that he's not the Kwisatz Haderach or something? Yeah. Haderach. She does. You can't be. So I think that that's You can't be because, well, you can't be right. because you're a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the most compelling part of the story. Yeah, that he's not supposed to be. So as we move into characterization, I found myself getting a little confused with the number of characters and their names and their purposes and all of this stuff. And oh, so I actually on. used ChatGPT to help me come up with a list of everyone with their purposes. I also have lists of their actors in the 1984 and 2021 films, um, which I thought would be helpful. So I'm going to give you the very briefest rundown. So we start with House Atreides. We've got Duke Leto and Lady Jessica are like the head of House Atreides. Jessica's obviously a Bene Gesserit. Uh, she is a concubine of Leto. So she and Paul's father, Duke Leto, did not get married, which was a purposeful decision. They kind of nod to it very briefly in the new movie, but uh, it wasn't explained as much as it was in the book. Then you've got their son, Paul Atreides. He's obviously the main character and is going to become uh, a leader. Uh, they also meet with Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam, who's a ben Benny Jesuit Reverend Mother. She's not really important to the rest of at least the 2021 film after the scene at the beginning with the box. What's in the box? Uh -huh. um, then you've got other members of their house, which include... Thufir Hawat, which is a mentat, which is essentially a human computer. Gurney and Duncan, both of whom are essentially soldiers, for lack of a better term. And then you've got Dr. Yue, who is the uh, the souk doctor for House Atreides. Yue is the one that uh, sort of betrays them, but really is trying to kill 
the Baron of House Harkonnen. So getting into House Harkonnen, you got Baron Vladimir, who he's the really big, fat, gross guy played by Stellan Skarsgård um, in the newer movie. He's the head of House Harkonnen. His nephew, Glossu Raban, who's known as the Beast Raban, is played by Dave Bautista. By the way, super hard for me not to see him <laughs> as his Drax. Uh, character in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. Yeah. All I like, I had to look past Drax. It was so weird. Um, there's also a nephew of Baron Harkonnen, Fade Rautha, who was not featured in 2021's film, but is going to be a primary character in the 2024 sequel. Um, then there's a mentat to Baron uh, Harkonnen, uh, Piter DeVries, and he plays a small part in the film, but was pretty major in the, the book. He's also a mentat. Um, he dies in this film. Uh, then you've got three characters from the Emperor's Court, Emperor Shaddam, Princess Irulan, and Count Hasmir Fenring. Uh, all of those were left out of the 2021 film. And then going back to additional characters around the Fremen, you've got uh, Chani, who's obviously Paul's love interest played by Zendaya. Stilgar, who's the leader of the Fremen that, the like Fremen group that Paul and his mother Jessica get in with. Jameis is another member of that group. He's the one that Paul kills uh, after being challenged. And then you got Le- Dr. Liet Kynes, the Imperial Planetologist. They call... Uh, Kinds something different in the newer movie. I remember in the book, the Kinds character made a big deal about the fact that he was a planetologist. That was his title. Um, And he is also a Fremen leader and kind of walks both in the Emperor's Court and the Fremen Court. So, And played by a female in the 2021 film. Right, right. I hope that that made it clearer because I genuinely, I didn't know who Princess Irulan was basically for the entire book that I've read so far. Which I think is fine. I still didn't realize it was the Emperor's daughter. I think it's normal. Yeah, and then there's one additional character that we don't know if she will or will not appear ever, but Paul has a younger sister who I believe I've met in the book where I'm at yet, correct? Like I don't think she's been mentioned. No, I yet. think her name's Aaliyah. Yeah, I think spoiler for the the sequel, but I think there's a time jump in the third part mm. of the first novel. There's no way uh, they can it. do this without it. I think it's funny that you say, Rebecca, that it's so many characters you couldn't keep straight. For me, my main thing, especially when I saw Dune 2021 for the first time before I read the book and before I rewatched the 1984 film, I I had watched that a long time ago, but uh, my main criticism, my main problem with it was it felt like such a product of its time that we've moved past it in a certain way. You know, I'm a big Game of Thrones books fan. (laughs) And so Dune, having been one of the first ever stories to have this complex of a political intrigue narrative yeah. on, on a sci-fi level, well, now we have Game of Thrones and all of the stories it's inspired. Game of Thrones in its 40 first, characters. Oh, in the first chapter, there's 40 characters. Yeah. I had the realization as I was trying to go through this, part of my problem that I should have read this one from the physical book that mm-hmm. I own because yeah. when I see the names, it's so much more helpful. Gotcha. Hearing them was harder to capture. I, I can see that. It's hard to spell them in your mind's eye, right. which would help. There's so much political intrigue in Game of Thrones. It makes Dune's political intrigue look like it was written by a 12-year-old in 2021. Mm. 
the the political intrigue is oh there's two rival houses and the emperor is secretly supporting the other one one of them is really popular and good and one of them is really rich and bad i mean that's that's the depth of the plot of dune yeah moving into characterization i think overall the 84 film made the main characters so outlandish in appearance that they're i don't know if it was to just i don't know if Lynch was trying to make this statement of some kind about the appearance of them, but it, it just did not, it didn't help me. It was so distracting. Um, the mentats eyebrows. eyebrows, I said, you know, were so crazy. They weren't just bushy eyebrows, but, um, yeah, they, they just were weren't. super bushy eyebrows and the, uh, the staining on their lip looked just like they needed to wipe their face off or yeah. something. Yes. Right. Um, but the other one that was frustrating for me, besides the disgustingness of Baron Harkonnen in the 84 film, Couldn't even you look can't at look him. at him. He's so gross. Oh, yeah. But it was funny, I will say, when, uh, when in the 84 film, when she runs up and to kill him and she, somebody, they pull these tubes out of his chest and he oh, starts oozing out gross stuff. Alert, it's the second, it's the second half. Well, it's in the 84 film. I saw, I mean, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. We, You're good. I don't oh, think it's yes. fine. Uh, okay. doesn't matter. Besides his grossness, but the character that was even more distressing than the Mentats was Jessica. The scene where she walks out and she's walking across with the guy with the diamond on his head. Ua. Ua. She's got on a gown literally straight out of Gone with the Wind. I'm ready to hear Prissy go, Miss Scarlet, Miss Scarlet. I ain't never birthed no babies. Rebecca, it takes place in the past. I hate things said in the past. <laughs> anyway, they roll her hair back in these rollers up around her head. They've got this high neck dress with the lace. It's there's nothing futuristic, science fictiony. So then, when I think about the 2021 movie. And I see these simple things that they put uh, Rebecca Ferguson in as Lady Jessica. I was like, oh, this is, this looks right. So the style, again, styling and. There were some real misses for the 1984 movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. And, and the audience responded that way to it as well. I think Paul in the 84 movie Looks too old, but doesn't act as <laughs> mature as he looks. I think Timothy Chalamet is much easier to see in an older teen becoming mm-hmm. an adult, and it works better in the 21 film. The yeah. 21 film does cut out a lot of stuff, though, about mentats who are um, excessively powerful in the book. Mm. Um, they are basically the replacement for computers because... AI has been banned um, 10,000 years before, but there's not really any reference to that. And you don't see a lot of it in the 21 film. You you only kind of know that if you've yeah. read the book. Jessica's relationship with Paul in the 84 film, she's more distant from him. And then she begins to almost become afraid of him. It's just not a relationship where I'd say, oh, that's great that Paul's mother is so encouraging to him and that she's she's for him. She's behind him. Ferguson and Chalamet doing their chemistry thing. It it works and it's it flows well and 
it doesn't seem cringy or you don't think that she is too doting or whatever. Well, I think uh, an interesting change that I think works for the fact that Denny Villeneuve is doing two films for one novel is that Fade Ralpha Harkonnen, nephew to the Baron, is left out of the 2021 mm. film. He's going to play a much bigger role in the 2024 sequel, played by Elvis Presley himself, Austin Butler. Do you know who played who played that character in the 84 film? Fade Ralpha? Oh, Sting. Sting. Yep. Another musician. In the book, on the other hand, Fade Ralpha is introduced early in the plot with his uncle and brother, Beast Raban. First of all, and I know I have the 2021 film in my head, but I don't really find that Beast Raban slash Drax and Sting's Fade Ralpha really need to be two different people. I agree. So I'm I'm glad on a few counts that Denny Villeneuve separated them and, and kept Fade Ralpha for the second film. It also, this goes the same for the Emperor and the Princess Irulan being saved for the second film, that it makes it feel more like a sequel instead of a part two to the same novel. Mm. I think it makes it feel more like a justified sequel. I like that. Also related to the sequel, Thufir Hawat, who is the mentat to Duke Leto, he plays a fairly minimal role in the film. He's kind of there several times, uh, but he's not quite as prominent in the plot as he was in the book. He was very prominent in the book. And so I did read one of the articles that said they think that his character is going to take a larger role in the 2024 sequel, which I think would be interesting. Um, But I did like where they put in the 2021 film, the scene where he missed the, uh, the attempt on Paul's life. He missed that. And he immediately tries to resign to Duke Leto, which I thought was a really good, very brief, but like effective portrayal of the type of character he is. He's a very loyal, good person. And then that also plays into the fact that Duke Leto is a very benevolent leader, um, especially compared to the 1984 film. But I really like what a good and strong and benevolent leader he is made to be. Well, Rebecca, don't forget, Thufir Hawat is the master of assassins. <laughs> oh yes, again. Mm, yeah. So he should have been able to stop it. The book. <laughs> yeah, the 2021 film also portrays the Sardaukar a little differently. Um, in the 84 film and in the movie or in the book, they are they only know that they're Sardaukar because of how they fight. Uh, they're very hidden within the Harkonnen mm. uh, army, but the movie doesn't. The 21 movie doesn't hide them. And just they wear their uniforms and they're they're openly part of this. Uh, so the the intrigue with the we're not certain that the emperor's involved, but we think he is in the 21 film. It's like, yeah, he's involved, which is probably partly because the second like the sequel, there's probably going to be a lot of other big reveal moments. Yeah, they saved a lot of those reveals. And so that one just wasn't all that important to reveal early on. Also, I will say for those of you who, like me, might have been a little bit, let's say, confused, I believe this the way that it was written was the Emperor had uh, taken the Harkonnens off of Arrakis, A, because they really were mismanaging spice production and they were, like, losing money. But B, one of the things I read was 
throughout the rest of the books and some different things. I don't know where this all comes from, but the emperor also was concerned because both of their houses were getting so strong and he basically knew that he'd be setting them up for a war, especially helping the Harkonnens like attack them. And so his goal was to weaken both houses so that he as the emperor could keep power keep a firmer hold on right. his ability to see power. Looking at the stats for these movies, Dad and I found some very interesting correlations to the way things went, especially in 84, I will say. The book was released in August of 65. Movie oh, it was released. originally serialized, huh? Mm-hmm. It was originally mm-hmm. serialized? Did it? Yeah, serialized in 63 to 65. And then oh, in book does. form, came out in, in 1965. Um, the movie released, we've said this quite a bit, 84. It came out in December, on December 3rd, in one theater, and then like a week later, uh, but yeah, about a week, week, 10 days later, it was released in to wider audience in the U.S. And then in 2021, it was released in the U.S. on October 22nd. The book rating on Goodreads was 4.6. The Rotten Tomatoes in 84, 44%. The original publisher of the Dune book, the first Dune book, was an automotive manual for how to fix cars. That's the Uh, only (laughs) things they had published up to that point. Oh, my goodness. Repair manuals. so weird. It is. Um, Somebody had... had talked to to Herbert, and uh, they were part of the company, and they said, I think it's worth the risk, and so... The IMDb rating, the 1984... Film they gave six point three out of ten, and the twenty twenty one film they gave eight out of ten. And I missed the Rotten Tomatoes in twenty twenty one. It was an eighty three percent, so really fresh. Really, I mean, there's nice. really stark differences in these. I, I I was fascinated. So cost and box office production cost in nineteen eighty four was forty million dollars. Uh, the twenty twenty one production cost was one hundred sixty five million. Opening weekend, the eighty four film six million dollars which I'm sure was a massive buzzkill for them. I'm sure it was devastating. I assume that's not the single theater. No. It <laughs> that's was, when it, it opened fully. Okay. Open, yeah, yeah. The 2021 film, it opened 40, $41 million. Still not really high, right? Not, really it's not amazing. Well, for 2021, though, for le- that was like when COVID, like it was released during one of the biggest COVID waves that we had. Mm-hmm. So I think that 41 million is actually pretty impressive. True. I, and I it was, right. yeah. it was released on streaming at the same time. Yeah. Oh, it was one of those. Oh, dang. Wow. From what I was reading, Denny Villeneuve was worried. He didn't want to release it on streaming, but because uh, the success of this film determined whether the second film would get made. And so he was worried, but I I think the execs at the studio said, we will take streaming numbers into account when considering the success of the film. That's good. So this is where it gets a little crazy. The USA Canada gross for the whole thing, the 84 film, 30 million. So it didn't even hit their production cost at all. USA Canada 2021 film, 108 million didn't hit their production. Okay. Of course, we just talked about streaming, right? The worldwide numbers for the 1984 film, and I looked at this on several places $54,000. Almost nothing. Oh my. Which makes no sense at all. And I added, I looked at it, I was like, I can't. Was it just it. not released internationally? It didn't have a wide release. But the 2021 hmm. film, remember, USA Canada gross 108 million. The, U, uh, the worldwide gross. 
294 yeah. million. Yeah, yeah. I think that it was just released at a bad time. And pre- yeah. and it probably wasn't released on streaming at the same time internationally. So the total for for them, the 1984 film was just short of 31 million dollars and the 2021 film went to 402, went to 402 million. A lot of times we'll talk about um special effects in movies that are especially movies that are older uh, and things like that. And I think Everybody can agree that the special effects in the 1984 movie were very poor. So I was curious mm-hmm. what else was released in the years leading up to that that might that might show where the technology was. Starting with 1977's Star Wars: A New Hope, um, then Star Trek: The Motion mm. Picture, then Star Wars: Five: Empire Strikes Back, Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Tron in 1982, Star Wars 6, which was uh, The Return of the Jedi. Dune's production budget was for basically $40 million. The first Star Wars was $12 million. Star Trek The Motion Picture, <laughs> which was supposed to be way overblown on their budget, was only $35 million. The next Star Wars mm. was $23 million. The next Star Trek was... Oh my god! Twelve million. ET was ten and a half million. Uh, Tron, which was super heavy on special effects, was seventeen million. <clears throat> Star Wars wow. Six is the first of these movies that hit the forty million mark uh, for production costs. And by the time you've got the third wow. Star Wars movie, all of those special effects are amazing. The lightsabers and the walkers and you got all sorts of space fights and things like that. Oh, and sand people and Wookiees. And then you have Dune, a $40 million budget for special. In in that day. In that day should have brought us the kind of special effects that we saw in Star Trek and Star Wars Mm. and things that we look at and say, even today, a lot of the effects hold up. The shields... What did you think about those shields in the, 1984's the fighting version? Shields? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Can't believe we haven't talked about thought, them yet. <laughs> they were fascinating. Is that a good word? Fascinating? Uh, it Gosh. was a little bit. It looked a little bit like playing Minecraft with, <laughs> with clear blocks. I mean, it was unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Really? I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was an interesting take on it. You couldn't see like, it. I didn't see it as awful. Okay. It was blocks. And how often did those self-shields come back in the movie? I was amazed. I, I was like an hour and a half into the movie, and I thought, when's the last time I saw a self-shield? Yeah, you. they said you can't use them because the vibration brings the worms. So you can only use them when you're in that protected place. Yeah, why introduce it? Well, because they learned how to fight <laughs> yeah. with them, but then they had to learn how to fight a whole different way. I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the Dune world building for me, that you have this sci-fi setting where technology has gotten so good that no one uses guns and firearms. Right. But I cannot look at those those blocks, the, the Minecraft <laughs> Tron blocks. Yeah. That Weird. completely obscure people. Like, who am I looking at? Am I looking at Paul and Gurney? I can't tell which is which. And I can't tell it's if a, their arm is around this or, you know, yeah. Some things about Frank Herbert. And I, I like to try to see 
who the writer is, who the who the novelist is, and get a picture of you know him. And a couple of things I found out about him, um, he had a regular use of uh, magic mushrooms, I think is the term they were called then. He said his, his mind was stimulated more when he's using them. Um, the, the, the Benny Gesserits, he said, was influenced by tales of Maria Sabina and the sacred mushroom cults of Mexico. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like drug use may have had something to do with some of the Interestingly, they did parts. film the film in Mexico yeah, City. Uh, um, the, uh, so. the spores that allowed the bending of space or the tripping in the movie and the giant sandworms mm-hmm. were like maggots digesting mushrooms. I mean, he ties a lot of stuff in the it, the eyes of the Fremen even. are is He thought about the cerulean blue of the psilocybin, I think is how you say it. He was a huge, he was a, a huge proponent of environmental awareness. And he had been uh, quoted to say he wanted Dune to be like an environmental awareness handbook. And so writing, he saw Dune as where, where the world could go. I think Dune is a very interesting story, but anyone who, understands the plot of the third book onward that it doesn't work as a movie franchise. I I think Mm -hmm. that Denny Villeneuve has the right idea. He might adapt the second novel into a third film. If the second one does well, I think, I think that that's not a bad idea. Well, the fourth, the fourth one is God emperor of Dune. Yeah. Can I tell you a tiny bit about that? It's where Paul Atreides becomes half human, half sandworm and rules for three and a half thousand years oh. over the galaxy. Yeah. That's real easily, easily grasped. Do you think that'll work on a film? <laughs> Do that with Timothy Chalamet. How have we not talked about the weirding way? I think that's like the second biggest change in the eight, 1984 film that they just invented. Mm-hmm. And it's not at all in the book. Yeah. Well, in the book, they do talk about teaching teaching the fighters the weirding way, but I think it's actually mm-hmm. from the Bene Gesserit that they get that. It is. From the Atreides. I was going to say, they call weirding, like in the newer movie, The one of the Fremen is like, it's the voice. has Jessica, and then she takes him over, and he's like, why didn't you tell me you were a weirding yeah. woman? Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. They completely change they completely change what weirding is because weirding is a thing. It's it's just the voice, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And in the in the nineteen eighty four film, they make it into a weapon. Oh, ah, we have weapons now. Yeah. Oh, and the, <laughs> another one on the same line with that is uh, her Jessica and Paul have hand. They have a sign language between them. Yes, and yeah. very subtle loved sign language. That because you just it's just this. Me subtle, too. The, in the okay, think of how creative that is. Instead of the person just standing there static on the screen, and you hear a voice reading out their thoughts. And I, w- I loved when she would look at him, and she would just be like, "Your pitch, your pitch is not right." <laughs> or you know, she mm-hmm. or her thoughts. He's not there yet. He's not ready to use that voice. You know, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I'm Timothy Chalamet. I can use whatever voice I want, woman." <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, I found as I was reading through a lot of Dune trivia about just about everything, I realized that 
um, the series, while the original movie was not a hit, obviously, from what we found, the, the book, and I'm sure the series as well, because it does have a cult following, it has been used for the basis of a ton of board games, role-playing games, and video games. Are you familiar with any of these? So I have not uh, played any of the video games, although I looked at the article you were linking to, the Wikipedia page, and I'm actually kind of interested in the MMO that was announced that has not been released. So I might, I don't know, I might like try that. I I did Hogwarts Legacy, Mm -hmm. which is not an MMO, but it's it is like a kind of an action. Anyway, it's a game sort of in that genre. And so that sounds interesting. However, I have played Dune Imperium oh, really? and I played it with Josiah. Oh, um, the last right. time I was in Nashville. Yeah. The game, well, to disparage it a little, the game pretends to be a deck building game, but it's not really, <laughs> it's, it's an engine building game. And, uh, mm-hmm. how, there's like ways that you can prepare yourself for the end of round battle and whoever wins the end of round battle gets the best prize and whoever gets the most victory points at the end wins. And there's a bunch of different ways to get that, but it's, it's one of those complex tabletop games. I, I enjoy it. One of the things I like about it is that if, if you go to a space, usually another person can't go to that space. That's the main strategy mm of picking in what order you do your things. So there's a lot of little bits of strategy, but if it tells you how much I enjoyed it, I immediately added it to my Christmas wish list. Okay. Okay. What is an MMO? Massive multiplayer online game. I think world of Warcraft is like the headline of this is what an MMO is. So I guess I can start with my final verdict on Dune the book versus the 1984 movie. The book is better. I think David Lynch had a lot of fun making it look weird, and I don't hate every decision they made. I mean, I don't mind the eyebrows. I think it's appropriate for Baron Harkonnen to be disgusting, but it a lot of it did end up looking cheap. The, uh, the inner narration was just unacceptable, and I didn't like the special effects either. For, well, I, I liked some of them, but I didn't. Some of the bad special effects were very, very, very bad. As far as the 2021 mm. film goes, I think I mentioned earlier that Denis Villeneuve is such a great filmmaker that Dune does not deserve. He made Dune so cool. Mm-hmm. He cast cool people. He made the visual language of the film very somber and chic and modern. I think I thought there were some scenes that might have run the risk of being cliche or over explainy in the 2021 film. But, you know, you learn stuff through those scenes and you're like, well, I don't know how else I could have learned that. I think the 2021 film is certainly the best film adaptation possible. The book is so unique. There's not another book like it that has this weird, omniscient perspective uh, you know, character motivations are shown are, are told instead of shown, but there's something about it that that's very unique and it's a style that is very actively chosen. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I'm going to say the 2021 film was better than the book. For me, um, I enjoyed the book. I think I said a little earlier, I had reservations about reading it because I thought, oh, is it going to get sci-fi for that goes to a techie 
thing. Then I found out that's not really the direction that Herbert was going anyway. Mm. And then it was intriguing. Yeah. It 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 held me. Um, I, I it kept me interested. It kept me wanting to know and wanting to focus. So I followed up the '84 movie. I mean, I've made it clear. It just was a huge miss for me. It it was overdone visually, but not overdone. Like it was overdone to an to the point of ugly for me. Not in the right ways. Right. So definitely the book was much better than the 1984 movie for me. The 2021 movie um, casting, I love the people he casted anyway, and they delivered. I agree with you. He made choices that elevated this to something that a lot of people could watch and love that aren't science fiction, that aren't into this genre of film. So to me, if you can do that, that's a huge hit. I'll say it's going to edge out the book, but they're pretty close to even. The How I felt about the mm. book and the 2021 movie, it's, it's pretty close to even. Well, I'll go next. The, um, the book was far better than the 1984 movie. Um, with music by Toto, it reminded me more of the Flash Gordon movie of a similar time. Oh. And uh, those were very campy movies. Um, but the 2021 film, um, I, think, I think it was very good. When I first watched the 1984 film, I was told that it's not nearly as good as the book. And I had never read the book until recently. So uh, reading the book, mm -hmm. there's a lot of detail and a lot of things that go on in the book. I still think Frank Herbert is a, was a little, you know, a little off. The book is better for detail, but uh, the 21 movie makes makes the story palatable for a much larger audience and does a very good job at that. So in this one, I think I would say I like the new 2021 movie better. Nice. I uh, haven't even finished the 1984 movie. I will finish it before we do our next episode just to see the, how they do the conclusion in the same way. Um, what I've seen of it, I'm just kind of like it, even for movies of its time, like even putting it in the time period, not really something I think I'll probably ever watch again once I've done it just to see it for the, the pod. Um, love the 2021 movie. I'm going to be honest. I went into the 2021 Dune thinking, I'm not going to like this. It's the type of movie that I'm not a big fan of. Like sometimes like I love simple sci-fi and like, um, young adult sci-fi, but I struggled to get into like really complicated sci-fi. I actually liked the fact that they didn't get into a, the technology a lot and, and some of those things. Um, but I ended up loving the movie when we went to see it and was really engaged with it. I've been listening to the, book in audiobook format. I actually, I know dad had some problems with it. I like the really overproduced audiobook in this case. I think I would like it when you guys told me that it had multiple readers, meaning like each person has their own reader's voice. I will say there are two readers of the audiobook that I recognize their voices and I can't figure out who they are yet. Is, I think they're actors that I recognize, or one of them is like an audiobook reader that read another book that I like. Um, but anyway, it's just interesting to me that like the audiobook feels very engaging. I haven't finished it because I've been trying to like read just enough so that I can like 
consume the the part that the 2021 film was based on and then kind of do the same for um the one that's about to come out i think that um in general i liked the beginning of the book so much like i felt really engaged with it i've had a little bit of a hard time connecting with it and if i'm being honest i think it's really coming down for me to like hear it and like trying to keep track of who the characters are, their roles. What's a mentat? What's a Benny Gesserit? What is the prescience? What is the Moadib? What is the, uh, Kwisatz Haderach? Like I'm trying to keep track of all these very odd terms. And so I think that if I were to like grab the physical book, mm-hmm. it would be a little bit easier to like engage with that a little bit more. I would say right now, because I haven't finished the book, I would put the 2021 film and the book on the same level at the moment. Mm. The films might edge it out for me if I continue to have trouble with keeping track of what's going on in the book. Now, I think the fact that I created this chart of characters and like, I feel like I have a little bit of a better handle on some of what's going on just as we were preparing to record this, I might feel a little bit differently. Um, like I might enjoy the book more cause I have less trouble keeping up with it, but I would say they definitely are there for me. 1984 book is clearly better than the film. It could, I think it depends on how he wraps it with the second movie. I'm also a little bit trepidatious of the idea of doing a third movie from everything I've heard about dude Messiah, but, um, but we'll see. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Josiah was talking about, um, Villeneuve being better. It, it reminded me too, of like looking at justice league and then seeing Zack Snyder's take Mm -hmm. on justice league. And how he mm-hmm. took the took the film, did not redo the film, but retooled everything in appearance and things like that. And, and it I was think better. those those things really they really affect me. Visually visual things like that affect me. And I think it's the emotion they bring. So Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode, please leave us a five-star rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It helps us a ton. You can find us most places at Book Is Better Pod for feedback, future episode ideas, or to suggest IPs you'd like us to cover. Email us, bookisbetterpod at gmail.com. Our next episode in two weeks, will be reviewing the brand new Dune 2 movie. So make sure you watch that before listening to the episode. And until then, have a great day. Yeet, skirt, eat, skirt.